Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the internet. Throughout the history of the Church, the message and faith that has been handed down from Jesus Christ through the Apostles has met with many challenges and tests. In each instance, God sent us a wise and inspired teacher to guide the way. In the early church, when the divinity of Jesus came into question, St. Athanasius of Alexandria came forward. Athanasius was undoubtedly one of the most important and revered early church fathers, but above all, he was an impassioned theologian of the incarnation of the Logos, the Word of God who, as the prologue to the fourth gospel says, became flesh and dwelt among us. From DiscerningHearts.com's The Doctors of the Church podcast series, this is St. Athanasius of Alexandria, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. DiscerningHearts.com presents The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. For over 20 years, Dr. Bunsen has been active in the area of Catholic social communications and education, including writing, editing, and teaching on a variety of topics related to church history, the papacy, the saints, and Catholic culture. He is the faculty chair at the Catholic Distance University, a senior fellow of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology, and the author or co-author of over 50 books, including The Encyclopedia of Catholic History and the best-selling biographies of St. Damien of Molokai and St. Kateri Tekakawitha. He also serves as a senior editor for the National Catholic Register and is a senior contributor to EWTN News. The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Matthew. Oh, it's great to be with you, Chris. Today we're going to be talking about St. Athanasius of Alexandria. When did he become a doctor of the church? Yeah, uh, St. Athanasius was uh, named a doctor of the church in 1568 by Pope St. Pius V. In fact, he was named at the same time as uh, St. John Chrysostom, as St. Basil the Great, and also St. Gregory Nazianzus. So he is uh, ranked as one of the, the great doctors of the Church of the East. When did he actually live and participate in the life of the Church? Well, we know that uh, St. Athanasius was born probably around 298, and he died, traditionally, on May 2nd in 373. A Church father and a doctor, and one who has been described as a pillar of the Church. We have in the, the great history of the Church uh, tremendous figures such as Thomas Aquinas and St. Augustine that we're going to be talking about over the, the coming weeks. Athanasius emerged in the life of the Church at exactly one of the most critical moments of the Arian heresy that, as we're going to talk about, called into very question the divinity of Christ. And he stood, therefore, uh, as arguably the greatest champion of orthodoxy of the Church's authentic understanding of Christ at this pivotal moment uh, in the 4th century. Where is Alexandria located? Alexandria is uh, situated in uh, northern Egypt, uh, right on uh, the Mediterranean. It was uh, established by Alexander the Great uh, in the 4th century BC and emerged very quickly as arguably the greatest city in the East. And from a very early time, it developed a, a Christian community. 
And out of that community emerged one of the two great schools in the early church for the understanding of Christian theology, uh, the other great city being in Antioch. And this is important uh, because uh, Anasius was a graduate, so to speak, of the great catechetical school uh, in Alexandria. And it provided him a superb foundation and preparation for the great struggle uh, that emerged with the Arian heresy that, ironically enough, also began in Egypt. What what formed him and what would lead him to be a leader against this particular heresy of Arianism? Yeah, well, we know that uh, Athanasius uh, was a native of Alexandria. Uh, he was born probably between 296 and 298. Now, several historians of the church uh, ancient historians, in particular one by the name of Rufinus and the other Socrates, uh, have saved or preserved a very famous story about his boyhood that tells us a great deal about him. It is said that Bishop Alexander of Alexandria uh, discovered this young boy named Athanasius uh, baptizing several playmates right on the seashore in imitation of the bishop. And at first dismissing this as just child's play, uh, Alexander discovered that this young boy uh, displayed such presence of mind and knowledge of doctrine that Alexander declared the baptisms to be entirely valid and that the, uh, the, in, this youth in front of him, uh, somebody with a potentially brilliant future, and of course that's exactly what happened, he took the youth under his wing and... Uh, gave him over to the education and the spiritual formation of the best priests that he knew in the city and was always very active also in Athanasius's preparation and, and spiritual and intellectual and human formation. This is important because what it meant was that right from the start, Athanasius was raised in an atmosphere of orthodox teaching. He also received knowledge in grammar, in rhetoric, in theology, and eventually uh, became the private secretary to Bishop Alexander. Now, as all of this was happening, of course, around 318 in Egypt, a priest by the name of Arius began preaching that the son, he said, was begotten apart from time by the father and was a being created and founded before the ages. Now, if this sounds a little strange, uh, it, it should, because what this priest was basically saying is that Christ is not eternal or co-eternal. He was not uh, consubstantial with the Father. He was not uh, unoriginated with the Father. So that, in effect, what this priest was saying was that the Son of God was not eternal, but created by the Father from nothing that Christ was a changeable creature with his dignity bestowed upon him as son of God. Now, this, of course, horrified bishops all over the East, and Athanasius, as the private secretary to Bishop Alexander, had the opportunity to travel with him uh, to the famous Council of Nicaea in 325 uh, that had been convoked by Emperor Constantine the Great and, of course, uh, by Pope St. Sylvester. Its purpose was very clear, to condemn Arianism and then to establish a creed uh, that really expresses uh, the relationship between the Father and the Son within the Godhead. 
Athanasius went to Nicaea, as I said, with Alexander as his secretary, but also as a theological advisor. By 325, Athanasius was already well known within the city. Uh, he was writing treaties in defense of orthodoxy. So despite his youth, despite that he was still in his 20s, uh, he was considered a very formidable presence. And it was said uh, during the council that uh, he was one of the great figures for supporting this. Uh, according to another historian by the name of Theodoret, uh, Anasius, he wrote, contented earnestly uh, for the apostolic doctrines and was, quote, applauded by their champions while earning the hostility of the opponents. Now, when we talk about the hostility of the opponents, it, this is actually a very ominous thing because it isn't just like having a, a type of disagreement in rhetoric. This could be potentially dangerous to one's health. Very much so. Uh, and of course, what happened was that uh, Arianism was condemned, but it soon made a return to power. And the aging Constantine the Great uh, succumbed to the pressure of the Arians within his own court. And as we've also seen many times in the history of the church involving heresy, certainly we see this with the Protestant Reformation. Once an issue, once a, a crisis in the church of heresy becomes politicized, once secular rulers begin to attempt to influence the church, it goes from bad to worse. And this is, of course, precisely what happened with the Arian controversy, that from the death especially of Constantine the Great, uh, the empire was divided up among his sons, and several of them uh, became adherents uh, to the Arian heresy, and therefore began to impose uh, imperial, at times violent, solutions uh, to uh, the, the crisis. They used soldiers to impose heretical bishops on different sees, the exiled uh, bishops who refused to succumb to heretical doctrines, and unfortunately, Athanasius was going to be one of those. And he returned home after Nicaea and displayed such skill uh, as the private secretary and earned such a reputation during the council that when Alexander died around 328, Athanasius was very speedily elected uh, to succeed him. Now, this is uh, important again because his election as the Bishop of Alexandria, one of the most important sees in the whole of the church, came, as I said, right as the Arians were beginning to regain their ascendancy. And his position in the, the church in Egypt and then, of course, in the church in the east singled him out uh, by the Arians for hostility and for exile. And there was also about him a, a certain power. Uh, his personality was so significant and, and so remarkable that the Arians understood right from the start that if they were going to have any hopes of imposing their will upon the church, especially in the East, this is somebody they had to remove, to get rid of, uh, in order to clear the way for their own victory. But I say this because 
it, there's this wonderful incongruity there because Anasius was not a very big man. Uh, it is said that uh, he was tiny. Uh, he was dismissed, in fact, uh, uh, by one of the emperors, uh, Emperor Julian the Apostate, as, quote, a despicable mannequin because he was so small. And yet he was such a towering intellect that his size seemed to grow uh, with stature, with each new outrage committed against him. And his will was many, many times the size of his physical form. So during the course of this tumultuous period, what would then occur to Athanasius? Yeah, well, as, as we've seen, he was the most articulate and the most determined adversary of Arianism. It made him, therefore, as we also say, a chief target. And throughout the next decades, he was exiled at least four times and suffered almost endless humiliations, starting, uh, as I said, with the Arian resurgence in Constantinople in, in 328, when he refused to readmit uh, Arians to uh, their offices, for example. Uh, Arians in the court, the imperial court, uh, connived to have him charged with various crimes and improprieties. The outlandish charges uh, in included the, the one that he had somehow not reached appropriate age at the time of his election. But even worse, they said that he had put a, an Arian bishop to death and had committed sorcery and had even used his dismembered corpse, they said, for evil magic. Good. This is the degree to which their uh, hostility went. Now, he was brought before a council at Tyre in 335, uh, but his enemies had already decided his guilt. He knew that this council was simply going to condemn him, uh, probably arrest him, and imprison him. So instead, he fled and made a direct appeal to the emperor. It was denied, however, as the Arians came up with a new lie against him, and that was that he had attempted to interrupt the corn, the vital corn supply from Egypt to Constantinople. And therefore, uh, he was exiled to the city of modern city of Trier for over two years. Only with the, the death of Arius in 336 and then of Constantine in 337 and the emergence of the new co-emperors was he permitted to return. But this was, the, while this was the cause of immense joy in, in Alexandria, it was short-lived as he faced exile quickly uh, by the Arian supporting emperor for the East, Constantius II. And here we begin this cycle of exiles and returns as emperors interfering in the life of the church. Some would bring him back, they would die, another emperor would come in, and Athanasius would again be forced to flee. We'll return in just a moment to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, 
Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. The Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death, and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. One of the most dangerous times uh, followed the assassination of Emperor Constance in 350, when the Arians once again came to power. He condemned, uh, Athanasius was condemned at councils in Arles and Milan, and then a third banishment was announced to him in the middle of the night, on February 8, 356, while in fact he was saying Mass in a church, 
soldiers arrived to arrest him, to take him away in chains. And Athanasius continued to say the Mass and then finished uh, an important point that he was trying to make by quoting uh, the, the wonderful line that his mercy endureth forever. As the soldiers then charged the altar, the crowd entered into such an uproar that it allowed Athanasius to join into the crowd and in the confusion escaped. And to give an idea of his precarious position, uh, he went into the desert and spent nearly six years among the desert monks there. Now, he had known uh, St. Antony of the Desert. Uh, it is said, for example, that he wrote the, the famous life of St. Antony of the Desert. But throughout that whole time, he was hunted down like a criminal. His life was always in danger, and soldiers were often sent into the, de the deserts to find him, uh, especially the, the little communities of monks along the Nile. And it is said that uh, once while being pursued, uh, he knew that the soldiers were near, that they were sailing down the Nile in pursuit of him. So he took a small boat and instead rowed in the opposite direction and actually encountered the soldiers who did not make the connection that this was the man they were seeking. So they didn't recognize him, but they asked him if he knew where the evil fugitive Athanasius might be found. And realizing that they didn't know who he was, he replied calmly as he sailed past them, Athanasius is not far from here. <laughs> what a wonderful story. But this was, this was the life that he led. And even in the midst of it, though, it is said that in exile, in the desert, in the silence of the desert, in the burning light of the sun, and then by the still light of the candles at night, he wrote and he wrote. And he wrote some of his greatest works, including his oration against the Arians. So that out of this time of torment and suffering, uh, out of these exiles, uh, we can add that at one point he had to hide in the very tomb of his parents. He was perfecting the virtues in himself. He was writing in defense of the true faith. And he was living the life of a saint. So that, like a crucible, he was being burned of all of the impurities in him. And the experience of his exiles, I think, prepared him really for the triumph of orthodoxy. Uh, and when he was able to return at last, after so many years of exile, uh, to the Sea of Alexandria, he brought with him this profound, even profounder holiness. And the gestures that he made during that time were important, not just for the defense of orthodoxy, but for the reunification of the church. Or he was very generous to the defeated Arians and used charity, he used love, he used, he used patience and fortitude in putting together what was a severely broken uh, diocese of Alexandria. Uh, we forget that the tactics that the Arians often used included brutality and, and even assassination and, and torture uh, to bend others to their will. And there were many who had suffered during this time, but there were many 
who also repented of their involvement in so terrible a, a time of heresy. Do you suppose, Matthew, he was so popular with his people because he communicated the message that God was so accessible, that he wasn't, a, that Jesus Christ wasn't a secondary God or something that was, uh, I think it was Pope Benedict XVI that said that he was indeed true God, true man, that he is God with us. And that's, you know, that's such an, an important thing that touches the heart. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, he wrote, for example, around 318, uh, a treatise on the Incarnation. And he used that the phrase that uh, was also adopted by so many other great theologians, including Augustine, that, that God became man so that man might become God. And his understanding of the Incarnation compelled him uh, to stand as a forceful defender of orthodoxy. But he saw the struggle within the context especially of Christ's redemptive work of salvation the grace of divine sonship offered through redemption. As, as Athanasius taught, the divine son is eternally generated by the Father, and so both must share the same nature. At the same time, both the son and the Father must be truly distinct, or as, as he wrote, for the Father is not the son, and the son is not the Father. But, but you've hit on something very important there, and that is that the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ are, are perfectly found in Christ. And therefore, Christ is the supreme role model for all people. But he is also a member of, he's a person of the Holy Trinity. And that mystery, the, the, the beauty of the incarnation then, was destroyed by Arianism that reduced Christ to a creature and therefore, the whole magnificence of redemption is destroyed. The harmony of that is destroyed as well. Arianism had wrecked the beauty of the whole of the, the teachings of the church, all in the name of trying to understand Christ. And, and this is uh, one of the aspects that we see with Athanasius that we're going to see with, with other doctors of the church who are also fathers of the church from this time, that their work is so vital to us today because they helped to clarify uh, for the church what the church truly believes, uh, understands of authentic teachings. Athanasius provided for the church a powerful, clear understanding of Christ's divinity and his humanity, but above all, Christ's divinity as central to our salvation, but also central to our comprehension of the incarnation and the Trinity. You spoke of his great holiness, especially that became so apparent after his time in the desert. He would also go on to write about the great desert father, Saint Anthony, mm -hmm. and not to be confused with Anthony of Padua, the Franciscan, but this, this uh, Saint Anthony, many different names: Saint Anthony the Hermit, Saint Anthony of the Desert. Yes, but this, but this was one who really honed the depths of that 
contemplation, which brought him in a close, closer relationship with God through prayer. And Athanasius passed that on, that legacy, that story. It was told because of his work. Yes. Uh, there are great sources for the development of monasticism, especially in the West. And Athanasius, I think, stands as one of those pivotal bridges. It is generally believed that he wrote the, the Vita or the life of St. Anthony of the Desert. Regardless, Athanasius was uh, somebody who knew Anthony, who extolled the work that he was doing, but who then also made accessible to future generations this incredible experiment of the monks in the desert. And that, of course, captured the imagination of Christians all over the Eastern Empire and then into the West. And in that sense, then, he played, as, as I said, a, a role of, of a bridge between those, those early monastic communities in the desert, uh, starting with St. Anthony, that what was called the, the Cenobitic life, this monastic life, in which Athanasius himself had participated during his time of exile, making that accessible uh, to those in the West who soon found the attributes of this life so appealing, the solitary encounter with prayer, with God, in the desert, uh, in the, the cell, in that monastic community. And in that sense, then, uh, we owe a, a debt to St. Athanasius, not just as one of the great fathers of orthodoxy, one of the great defenders of uh, the authentic teachings of the church, in helping us understand those teachings more, but also as one of those conduits for the monastic life that became such a hallmark of Christian civilization in the West. And uh, as we're going to see in the coming weeks as we talk about other doctors, uh, the great building blocks for much of Western civilization through the monasteries, through the monastic life. I wish we had more time to explore this incredible doctor of the church. And yet, as you just said, there we will see his influence in so many others. What would you say in closing, Matthew, on this particular episode? Yeah, Athanasius for us today, for modern defenders and apologists of the Catholic faith, he is our sure guide. He is a reminder of two important realities. The first is that the truth will triumph if we hold fast to it, even in the face of lies, of danger, of calumny, of humiliation. But even more, he teaches us that defending the truth is never an easy task. In his time, in his life, he faced slander, violence, and even the threat of death for standing firm and proclaiming the truth. The life of Athanasius makes every one of us who loves the faith, every one of us who seeks to defend the faith, ask the same question. Would I be willing to follow in Athanasius' footsteps? Would I be willing to endure this in the name of the faith? And, and it's a hard question, but it's one that's worth asking in ourselves. 
And if we're not sure about the answer, we need to deepen our faith, but also to deepen our understanding of the faith. Because if we, like Athanasius, understand truly the beauty of Catholic teaching, who Christ is, we would be willing to endure this, even to the point of death. Dr. Matthew Bunsen, thank you so much. It's a privilege to be with you, Chris. I look forward to our next episode. You've been listening to The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it in the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this program has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Doctors of the Church, The Charism of Wisdom, with Dr. Matthew Bunsen. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler, and we'll be back with more right after this. It's such an encouragement and enriching to my own Christian walk. It brings me a great deal of peace. It kept me grounded when I felt like everything else was falling apart. I really am blessed whenever I listen. Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy has a new look. It's our website. Yes, we have a new website that makes everything about Catholic Radio Indy easier. It's clean, straightforward, and simple to use. You can listen to us live, see our schedule, and our map. You can even silence your phone and take it right into Mass to follow the daily readings. And don't forget, you can get all of our programming through the podcast tab. This makes everything so much easier. So just go to catholicradioindy.org and check us out. Welcome back to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. Before the break, we heard about St. Athanasius, and he was referred to as a doctor of the church. What does doctor of the church mean? Here's Joan Watson from 3-Minute Theology to explain. I'm standing in front of the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas, or the Angelicum. It has its roots back to the 13th century, when St. Dominic established a place of study here in Rome for his friars. It's now named for the great Dominican and doctor of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas. So what is a doctor of the church? It doesn't refer to saints who were medical doctors. In fact, the title doesn't even refer just to saints who had their doctorates in philosophy or theology. Rather, it's an honorary title given to saints who contributed to our understanding of God in a unique way. The title Doctor of the Church comes from the Latin word docere, which means to teach. And this title is given to those saints who had something to say to the entire church to help us understand our relationship with God. Through their preaching and their writing, these people reached a depth of understanding of doctrine or spirituality that's helpful for all Christians. Now, to be a doctor of the church, you have to be declared that by the Pope or an ecumenical council. It's not declared willy-nilly or by popular acclaim. Rather, the same congregation that handles the causes of saints 
looks into their writings. The Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith looks to see, does this person have something to say to the entire church? Is what they say true? And did they live a life of holiness and great learning? In fact, you have to already be a canonized saint to be declared a doctor of the church. But don't be fooled, it's not always the people with degrees. St. Catherine of Siena never received a formal education. St. Therese of Lisieux hardly would have been considered by her contemporaries a scholar. But both of these women are doctors of the church and both taught us incredible things about our relationship with God. There are 36 doctors of the church. Some fought great heresies that ran rampant throughout the church, like Cyril of Alexandria and Athanasius. There are Carmelites like John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. There are Dominicans like Thomas Aquinas, Franciscans like St. Bonaventure and Anthony of Padua. There are mystics like John of Avila and Hildegard von Bingen. And there are great spiritual writers like Francis de Sales and Alphonsus Liguori. There are people who wrote one book, like Therese of Lisieux, and a doctor that wrote extensively Albert the Great, who's known as the Universal Doctor, because he didn't just write about theology and philosophy, he wrote about the natural sciences as well, even mineralogy, meteorology, and zoology. One thing the doctors of the church remind us is that the path of sanctity is varied. These men and women are diverse from diverse religious orders and diverse walks of life. They have diverse educations, and yet one thing they share in common, their pursuit of the truth and their relationship with God. And that's a little theology in three minutes. We're all busy. Life happens and sometimes we need to put the brakes on in order to find the time for the important things, like prayer. Do you find you have no time for prayer these days? Aspirations can help. These short prayers can keep you close to Jesus and Mary. From Our Catholic Prayers podcast, this is Aspirations, short prayers to help you through your day. Hi, this is Chris Castagnoli for OurCatholicPrayers.com. Do you feel too pressed to find time to pray? These short prayers, which I will be reciting in this podcast, can help. They're easy to learn, and a good many of them are easy to memorize as well. These prayers are also called Aspirations. Just as a reminder, the text for these prayers can be found on our website, www.ourcatholicprayers.com, with no spaces between the words Our Catholic and Prayers. You can find them on our site under the heading marked Aspiration in the navigation bar on the left side of the page. We also have a direct link to the page itself on the webpage for this podcast. These prayers can provide you with a great way to stay in touch with our Lord and our Blessed Mother, especially for those times you feel at most at your wit's end. At times like these, when it feels like nothing is going right, don't lose hope. You can stay close to Jesus and Mary with these prayers, many of which come from old prayer books. These prayers are great in good times or bad. Because they are brief, I will pause between each one but feel free to combine them if you'd like. There's no hard and fast rule about this. In any case, I hope these prayers can inspire you. Think of what our Lord once said, Pray always, as he said in Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, verse 36. And as St. Paul said in his first letter to the Thessalonians, Pray without ceasing. This is taken from chapter 5, 
verse 17. Granted, in our busy schedules, taking care of home, family, work requirements, various obligations, we can't always pray without ceasing. But these prayers are a great way to get close to our Lord, to check in with Him as needed, and to ask for His help, which is always a good thing. Here's a good short prayer to both our Lord and His Blessed Mother, for starters. Jesus, Mary, I love you. Save souls. Here's a good one to the Holy Spirit. This one is especially good when said with any prayer to the Holy Spirit, but it's good all on its own, especially in those times you feel most in need of His counsel, comfort, and strength. O Holy Spirit, sweet guest of my soul, abide in me and grant that I may ever abide in Thee. This one is also very powerful. Holy Spirit, command me to do Your will. This next short prayer comes especially recommended by Jesus Himself. He once told Sister Mary of St. Peter, a French Carmelite nun in 1844, as he put it, Oh, if you only knew what great merit you acquire by saying even once, Admirable is the name of God and the spirit of reparation for blasphemy. Again, that prayer is, Admirable is the name of God. We've grouped these other prayers into the following categories. The first includes prayers directly to our Lord. It has been noted, incidentally, that a very good effective prayer is just to say the name of Jesus. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, have mercy. Jesus, make your will mine. Blessed be God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Divine heart of Jesus, convert sinners, save the dying, Deliver the holy souls in purgatory. Eucharistic heart of Jesus, increase in us our faith, hope, and charity. Good Jesus, give me a deep love for Thee, that nothing may be too hard for me to bear from Thee. Heart of Jesus, burning with love for us, set our hearts on fire with love of Thee. Heart of Jesus, I put my trust in Thee. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts like unto thine. Jesus, my God, I love thee above all things. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. May the most just, most high, and most adorable will of God be done in all things, praised and magnified forever. My God and my all. My Jesus, mercy. My Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of thy sufferings, grant me such faith, hope, charity, sorrow for my sins, and love of prayer as will save and sanctify my soul. My Lord, grant that I may love thee, and that the reward of my love may be to love thee ever more and more. My sweetest Jesus, be not my judge, but my Savior. O good Jesus, shelter me from the evil one. Shed thy dew upon me to calm my soul and dwell in me fully, that I may wholly love thee. O good Jesus, my God and my all, keep me ever near thee, 
Let nothing for a moment separate me from thee. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forevermore. Sacred Heart of Jesus, thy kingdom come. Savior of the world, have mercy on us. Sweet Heart of Jesus, be my love. Sweet Heart of my Jesus, grant that I may ever love thee more. We adore and praise thee, most holy Lord Jesus Christ, because by thy holy cross, Thou hast redeemed the world. And last, but by no means least in this first category, this prayer, made famous as it often appears in images of the Divine Mercy portrait of Jesus that St. Faustina, a Polish nun, had painted at Our Lord's request in the 1930s. You may recognize this prayer from the image. Jesus, I trust in you. The second of our category, Aspirations, Short Prayers, is entitled Aspirations to Our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, which is always a good place to see our Lord in Eucharistic devotion and adoration. Remember, he's really and truly present there. And if you're able to spend a little time with him there, so much the better, even if it's just for a couple moments in front of the tabernacle. He's always going to be glad to see you. Jesus, my God, here present in the sacrament of thy love, I adore thee. O Jesus, in the blessed sacrament, have mercy on us. O Jesus, in the most holy sacrament, have mercy on us. Praised and adored forever be the most holy sacrament. We adore thee, thou true bread of angels. Our third category is aspirations, again, that's short prayers, to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mary, Virgin Mother of God, pray to Jesus for me. Sweetheart of Mary, be my salvation. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Our Lady of Lords, pray for us. Mary, our hope, have pity on us. Mary Most Sorrowful, Mother of Christians, pray for us. O Mary, Virgin Mother of God, pray to Jesus for me. My Queen, my Mother, remember I am thine own. Keep me, guard me as thy property and possession. O Mary, thou didst enter the world without stain. Do thou obtain for me from God, that I may leave it without sin. Our fourth category is Aspirations to the Holy Family. Jesus, Mary, Joseph. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, bless us now and at the hour of our death. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I give you my heart and my soul. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, assist me in my last agony. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, may I breathe out my soul in peace with you. And our final category, which consists of aspirations before or after confession. O Lord, do not deal with us according to our sins which we have committed, nor according to our wickedness. 
O Lord, do not remember our former wickedness, and be merciful and forgive our sins for the sake of your holy name. O merciful Lord, you are never weary of speaking to my poor heart. Grant me grace that, if today I hear your voice, my heart may not be hardened. From all sin, deliver me, O Lord. Lord, I fear your justice. I implore your mercy. Do not deliver me to everlasting pains, but grant that I may possess you in eternal joys. Holy Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. My Jesus, mercy. Sweet as Jesus, be not my judge, but my Savior. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. My mother, my hope. Mother of mercy, pray for us. Virgin Mother of God, when you stand before the face of the Lord, remember to speak favorable things in our behalf, that he may turn away his just anger from us. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. Lord, I am my own enemy when I seek my peace apart from you. Lamb of God, who takest away the sins of the world, grant us your peace. Sweet us, Jesus, hide me in your sacred heart. Do not permit me ever to be separated from you. Defend me from the evil foe. Lord Jesus, through your infant cries, when you were born for me in the manger, through your tears when you died for me on the cross, through your love as you live for me in the tabernacle, have mercy on me and save me. Lord Jesus Christ, deliver me from all my sins and from every evil. Make me ever keep your commandments and never allow me to be separated from you. Thank you for listening. This is Christopher Castagnoli for OurCatholicPrayers.com. Again, that's OurCatholicPrayers, one word with no spaces, dot com. God bless. This is Catholic Radio Indy. We couldn't do it without your support. This station is listener supported. If you're one of our regular donors, thank you very much. If you haven't joined our family of donors yet, visit catholicradioindy.org or call us at 317-870-8400. And to round out today's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler, here's a little three-minute catechism exploring the simple question with possibly a not-so-simple answer. How did Jesus live? How did Jesus live? Now, the eternal Son of the Father assumed our human nature and became man. Jesus is true God and true man. He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a few miles south of Jerusalem. He grew up in Nazareth. For 30 years, he lived a quiet life. He shared the life of ordinary men and, in this way, sanctified our everyday life. According to Jewish tradition, at the age of 30, one reaches full manhood. At this age, for example, one would come into one's inheritance, 
Jesus also came into his inheritance at that age, but the inheritance was not of Joseph, but of his heavenly Father. For the next three years, he went about in order to win the minds and hearts of people for his heavenly Father. He did the following. First, Jesus preached to the people. He told them parables about God. The parables were simple and at the same time memorable. And yet they were something special because Jesus didn't simply speak about God, but rather in Jesus, God himself spoke to us. Second, Jesus cast out demons. He freed the people from the power of evil also, and above all, by the fact that he forgave sins. Third, Jesus certified his message through miracles and in this way revealed to the people who he really was. A lot of people thought he was great, but not all. Some probably feared for their own power and influence. Some felt threatened by his radical statements. And some had a completely different idea of what the Messiah was to be like, more of a war hero that would drive the Romans from their land. So Christ had enemies, and some of them wanted him dead. And they eventually succeeded. Jesus was handed over to the Roman authorities, judged, condemned, and crucified. But what looked like a catastrophic defeat was in fact the very victory he had promised. For in giving his life for us, Jesus saved mankind. And in order that this triumph would become known to man, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. For 40 days he appeared to his disciples, encouraged them, and led them ever deeper into the understanding of his teaching. Then he sent them out to carry his message to the ends of the earth. He returned to heaven, and there he sits at the right hand of the Father until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. That is the life of Jesus in three minutes. If you want to read up on his whole message and all of his deeds, you can find them at the beginning of the New Testament in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's all the time we have for this week's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. This episode, along with links to more of the podcasts we've shared, is available at catholicradioindy.org. I'm Kent Blanford, and until next time, have a great week, and may God bless. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.